many of the things that I am teaching, I digest what he says and come up with something completely different. So this is the second in the series of Here Comes the Bride. Last week we talked about betrothal, which is a, a form of engagement, but much more weighty. And <clears throat> this, tonight, we're going to talk about being married to the Lord, and you should be getting a handout. As far as I know, Isaiah and Hosea are the first references that are made to God marrying people and people marrying a place. And of course, we know what marriage means. It's a, supposed to be a lifetime commitment between a man and a woman who have agreed to come together and to cleave to one another, to let their differences be lost in their commonalities, to compromise to walk together. It's a God thing. The first marriage was in the book of Genesis between Adam and Eve. God sanctified it and made it holy. And then, of course, throughout history, we have seen what culture has done to marriage. And we continue to see. It's no longer necessary to have a license, to have credentials, to be married to a member of the opposite sex. Marriage has completely changed from its original concept. But I want you to look at this sheet because we have a lot to cover. And next week I can tell you we're going to talk about promises. So Here Comes the Bride was first taken from the book of Hosea. This week is Married to the Lord, which is a new concept in the Old Testament. And you can see, if you look, I was thinking about all the covenants God made. Now covenant is a contract, it's a gr an agreement. And I did just a little bit of studying on the agreements in the Bible. And I will say this, that according to Middle Eastern ancient culture, the one who was stronger was always the one who had to back it up. So when God made a covenant with Noah and said, I'm not going to destroy the earth ever again by a flood, he put a rainbow in the sky. It was incumbent on him to make the terms of the agreement because he's the one that has all power. Then with Abraham, God made another covenant. But I want you to notice this. Abraham was called a friend of God. He wasn't called the spouse of God. We're seeing gradually from Genesis as we move through the Old Testament, and here we're going to start with Isaiah and Hosea, God begins to change the language of his relationship. So let me show you. We, we know that God made a promise to Abraham, said, leave your house. That sounds like leave your father and mother. Cleave to me. I'm going to give you a place to live. Stick with me. Let's go through this together. Let's go through your life together. And here's the proof that I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham waited a very long time for that promise. Now, that sounds kind of out of order. Uh... You know, stick with me. I'm and Abraham's like, I'm almost 100. I'm 100 here, God. How are you going to do all this? You promised me you're going to make me a nation. I don't even have one child. He said, I've made a promise. So our relationship with God is connected to the promises, just like an engagement ring. That's for next week. But I want you to think about that while we're studying. How does God engage us? Now, I know how guys engage girls. Flowers, chocolates, phone calls, cards, dates, all kinds of sweet things. And then they get married and, well, pff, anyway. This is what they say. 
And you're lucky if they remember your anniversary, right? That's the stereotype. Once they get you, once they woo you, oh well, gotcha, done. Well, the Lord also, and then, you know, there's a famous song. If you like it, then you should have put her. Yeah, because it's like, if you want me, you better bring some bling. Because that's going to seal the deal. When I wear an engagement ring, engaged means engaged. It means I'm not looking to the left or the right. I have eyes for one only. So I want you to look. God starts talking in the book of Isaiah and Hosea. He's not interested in just a nation of people who practice circumcision. Now you see, before God had Isaac, they did not circumcise. But then after Isaac was born, God gave him the covenant of circumcision, which is interesting because that's the source of procreation. And he said, I want to make a very intimate agreement with you, right where you're living, that you are my people, and I want you to wear that token. That's a very strange token, but it was a serious, very serious token of I made a promise to you, and I'm not going to lie. Now, it's important that we know this, because then later, when they come out of Egypt, he gives them the law. That's a mighty strange thing to give somebody as a promise. Say, now, I'm going to give you 10, 10 commandments and 632 statutes, and this is the proof that you're my people. I'm going to make you different than anybody else, and nobody could keep it. So that's a strange way to engage a people. Now let's fast forward because they couldn't do it. And they were betrothed. They had gotten promises, but they weren't married. Can I say that again? They got promises, but they weren't married. It's like being engaged, but the wedding hasn't taken place. Now with God, being engaged is a lot more serious than an engagement down here. We can break those engagements pretty easily. It's kind of hard on a couple if they do. This is true. But it can be done. It has been done. People will continue to do it. But the Lord said, I not only want to engage you, I want to betroth you and espouse you. I want to be married to you. So let's look at Isaiah 62, 4 through 5. Who ever heard of God marrying people? Well, this is where it's introduced. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. Thou shalt be called Hephzibah, my delight is in her. He said, I'm giving you a new name, the whole collective. I know people look at your land and they go, that little piece of property, that's not worth anything. And you can see the parallels. The Lord used the Old Testament to parallel what he was going to do in the new. He recognized that a piece of paper does not a marriage make. A signed document does not mean that love's happening at home. And he had to prove it to him that a covenant written down is not going to be enough. I don't want your agreement from the teeth out. I want you to love me. I am looking for a wife. So he said, I know your land's messed up. They messed up their own land. They did it. God didn't do it. He gave it to them, and then they became adulterous. They got tired of keeping him the center, and so they stopped. And when they did, everything fell apart. But he said, you're going to be called Hephzibah, and your land is going to be called 
Look at your paper. What is that word there? Beulah. Do you know what that means? It's got three meanings. You can use Beulah to say husband, Beulah to say wife, and Beulah to say married. They are that closely related. Beulah, spoused, married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over me. That sounds ridiculous. What God is saying is, I want to bring heaven to earth. I want your connect point with me to affect how you relate in the very land that you occupy. He gave them, I don't know how many statutes for how to plant, what to plant, when to plant, and when to let the land rest. He made the land, gave it as a gift, and then said, if you keep me the center and you do what I say out of a love relationship, not because you're trying to increase your vineyard. I don't want you to tithe so that I can give you more goodies. I want you to tithe because you connect your increase to your relationship with me. I want you to see that I'm the source of your resources. So he said, I want you, I want your land to be married. Now let's keep going. Paul then said, in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, I tried not to go to the New Testament, couldn't help it. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Here comes the language of marriage again. The language of a husband and a wife. For I have espoused you. Now in parentheses below that scripture, I have written down what that means. Joined. It means carpentry, literally fitting together like one piece. He said, I have given as a daughter. I am standing in and going, God, this is the church that I have prepared for you. I've been teaching her and training her and, and trying to show her everything she needs. Just like the eunuchs did for Esther when she came before Ahasuerus. He gave her instructions about what she would need to do to please the king. And he married her. He was right. He fell in love with that girl. He said, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Not artificial. Just, just give me what you need. He's looking for a relationship. Repeat with me. God is looking for a relationship. He's got lots of people who will serve him from the teeth out, who will do five things, Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday, who will clean the church, who will do all kinds of things, all kinds of acts of service, and want no relationship with him at all. I'm not saying we have people in here doing that. I'm just saying to you that the relationship issue with God is a big, big deal. I don't know too many men and women that go, yeah, I'll marry you, but I don't love you. Yeah, I'll be married, but... And if they enter in that kind of relationship, you know what's going to happen? They're going to commit adultery before long. They're not going to stay together. Even if they stay together, they're not going to be faithful because they don't love each other. So let's keep reading. Now, Hosea, we said, how's God going to do this? And I touched on it last week when I talked to you about betrothal. And Hosea 2, 19 through 20 says, I will betroth thee unto me for how long? So, that's not possible unless you remain betrothed when you die. These all died in the faith. Blessed are those henceforth who die in the Lord. 
for they cease from their labors and their works do follow them. It is possible to actually go to sleep in Jesus Christ betrothed. In fact, that's what we're hoping. Because the promise goes beyond my lifespan. He can't lie. So even if I die, which he calls going to sleep, he is responsible for keeping his word, which means I told you that if I, you'd let me engage you, if you would let me put a ring on it, if you would enter into covenant with me, that I would bring you back. He's bound to keep his word. He's got to. He wrote it. He's bound by what he wrote. Say amen. Now he said, I'm going to do this forever, and I'm going to do this by the way I treat you. And there are four things we said, actually five things, that God is going to do to prove to us, I mean what I say. Number one, I'm going to treat you right. Righteousness. There is a right way to treat people. There's a right way to treat God. And God said, I am going to do you right. I will do you right before you do me right. And when you don't do me right, I'm going to keep doing right. Because that's who I am. I'll do it in spite of what you do. I will still be right. In judgment, that means God is not bound by what he sees. And he doesn't listen to gossip. The Lord is not swayed by the appearance of things. Do you remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house and he had seven sons? And Samuel kept saying, this has got to be the one. What a good looking kid. Tall, broad shouldered, handsome, ruddy, strong. And the Lord said, pass him by. I hadn't chosen him. That's not the one I want. Why? Because God is not moved by appearance. Now we're moved by appearance, but the Lord is not moved. And he said, I am going to judge appropriately for you. I'm going to make the right judgment calls for you. This is not a one-size-fits-all salvation. This is why the Lord can give certain people convictions over here and others not. Because he's not trying to force you into a cookie cutter. He wants a relationship. Say, thank you, Jesus. So then he says, righteousness and judgment, those sound kind of dry. He said, but I'm going to follow it up by loving kindness and mercy. I'm going to let you feel how much I love you by the way I treat you. And if you've never had your heart broken, this means nothing. If you've never been crushed by a betrayal, then none of this means a thing. But if you're coming out of something and you've been going through some things to think that somebody gets you without you trying to flip somersaults and trying to... In fact, the Bible said in Romans, his gift is so amazing that sometimes we don't even know what to ask for and he does the talking for us. I'm getting ahead of myself talking about promises. He said, and the result of this in verse 20 of me, of you letting me woo you, doing you right, showing you judgment, loving kindness, and mercies. He said, I'm going to show you what faithfulness looks like. Ever had somebody make a promise to you and they don't come through? Wonder how many children have suffered from parents who go, I'm the next time I'm with you, we're going to do da 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 da. Daddy, just come to my birthday party. I'm going to be there, buddy. You can count on me. You miss it one time and you make an excuse, that might fly. But two, three, four, five, and six, you know what children learn quickly? There's no faithfulness. I can't trust what you say. You're talking, but I'm not listening because you don't keep your word. Faithfulness is, I said I'd do it, and I will do it. Which is why the Lord said, I'm saying it. It's here. You can hold me to it. Do you believe it? That's the question. Now, 
God draws those he loves. So we went forward and now we're going backward. We're going back to Hosea, the second chapter, verses 14 through 17. Because what I want to say to you is by the time Hosea wrote this, his nation of Israel had already cheated on him so many times that they were still wearing a ring. They were still following Moses' laws. Ha ha. Wink, wink, nod, nod. They were still sacrificing. They were still holding festivals and feasts. But their heart was just as far from God. They could have cared less. And so the Lord said, you read the first part of Hosea. He said, I'm taking everything I gave you away. I'm going to take it all away and start over. So verse 14, he says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. He didn't do this... <clears throat> I'm going to beat you. I'm going to cuss you out. I'm going to send somebody that'll slap you around. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to punish you. And even when the Lord did punish, he never got pleasure out of it. And he didn't do it because he was a sadist. He was trying to wake them up because what they were doing was devouring their own flesh. If you don't serve love and God is love, then you're going to serve something else. If God is not the center, then everything else is the center. And it's amazing how quickly people implode when God is not the center. He said, I will allure her. Now, if you read that first part and find out what they've been doing, how they've been committing whoredoms and harlotry, I don't know too many men who will put up with that. I'm sorry. I do not know a human man who would go, well, that's okay. You slip. Come on home. We'll work on it. And then the next time. Well, that's just fine. Most guys who are betrayed like that are like, I'm out of here. You get your one shot. You've crushed me. You were unfaithful. I'm done. It's over. I, can't, I don't know how to trust you. You broke my trust. And then there's the, the period of I've got to build it back and build it back and build it back. And the Lord said, I'm going to take away everything I gave you. And then I'm going to draw you to me. Because you're going to be broken and empty. So this is not God doing this to people who are like, man, I'm hungry and I'm searching for something. This is people who already knew who he was. He said, but I'm going to allure her. I'm going to draw her. Look down there what it says, allure. Entice. Woo. Then I'm going to draw her and bring her into the wilderness. Now I want you to look at how God is. Isaiah 118 says, come now and let us reason together. I'm going to tell you something. If more couples would talk, more marriages would endure. You cannot live together and there be a wall of silence. That prayer is communication. When we talk about praying and reading the Bible, we're not trying to get you to tick off a box so that you can say, done. Okay, ding. Five minutes is up. Oh, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. It's building a relationship. Because that's what he's looking for. He said, I'm going to bring you gently into the wilderness. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. He said, I know what you've been doing. But I don't want to let you go. Wow. I know how you've been living. But I don't want to release you. Because if I do, it's over for you. And I still love you. Say thank you, Jesus. He said, I'm going to bring her into the wilderness. He said, 
And the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 4 says, draw me. I'm going to tell you, there are times when I, my relationship with God is as dry as cotton. You know what I'm praying? God, draw me. I'm just overwhelmed. I just feel dead. I'm just, you know, but you know what I know about engaged couples? I bet you they talk every day. Engaged couples, they still have bills to pay. They have jobs to do. They have plans to make. They're still living life. But I'm going to guarantee you they cannot wait. You know what their relief is? I got to call so-and-so. Hey, how are you doing? Man, I have had a day. It's so good to hear you. How are you doing? What, what is that all about? I'm not putting you on a timer. You are my life and my light. You are the reason I keep putting up with bills and trash and because I'm getting married. Are you starting to see the parallel? Now remember, this is the first place where we see this happening, this language of come to, please come to me. I will speak tenderly to her and to her heart. Draw me, and we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Whatever our issues are, God wants to reason with us. See, I don't want to tell him what I've been doing. He already knows. Talk. The Lord wants to draw us. So he uses scriptures, stories, words to say, tell me what's up. Tell me the truth. Now I want you to notice what the wilderness is. He didn't say, I'm going to take her on a cruise. I am going to take her to the most magnificent paradise. He said, I'm going to bring her out where it's rough. Anybody feel like we're in the rough right now? I'm going to tell you, I'm in the rough. I don't know where y'all are living. There has been no vacay for me. In fact, during Corona, we were doing six services. One right after another. Bam, 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 bam. I don't know where you were, but I can tell you where we were. Home and here. That's it. And that's pretty much the way it's been. The wilderness is not a city. There are no attractions and no distractions. It's quiet. No control. No ceiling. No walls. Nothing man-made. All God. Say, well... Sister Shostrand, this sounds like my life. Well, yeah. Why? What would you do as the hour approaches for your wedding? At some point, the communication between the bride and the groom needs to increase. At some point, all of the daily living kind of drops off. You stop being so engaged because you know it's getting closer and your attention becomes more focused. So what does God do to Israel? All the lights are making you crazy. All the partying, the carnival, the fair over here, all this making you crazy. I'm taking you away from it. I'm going to remove you from what's been blinking in your eyes. Because I want you to come to the wilderness so I can dangle you over hell? No. He said in Psalms 136.16, To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. What was in the wilderness when they went through? And you'll see it on your sheet. Water, manna, cloud, and fire. But there were no hotels. <laughs> there was no carnival. There were no fairs. There was God and the big open space. And right now we're there. And guess who's with us? He's with us. He brought us here, folks. You say, oh no, 
No, no, no, no, no. I got here by accident. Honey, if this is not by design, I don't know what is. It's time to have a conversation. Why? The Lord wants to establish himself as the source of all we need in the worst of places. I want you to underline this on your paper. Look at it. The worst of places. The uninhabited. The uncultivated. The uncontrolled. And I said it again, the uninhabited. The, you, don't, you don't set up a home in the wilderness. The wilderness is a temporary point of passage. It's between where you were and where you're going. And we're in a wilderness right now. Say, how many times are we going to have to pass through it? I don't know. This feels like the last time for me. This feels like once I get through this, I'm not going, I'm not going through it again. I'm going up. I'm going through it one more time and then done. And you say, well, how long will we be in the wilderness? As long as it takes for him to perfect us. He takes us to a place where we are weak so he can be strong. And 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What are you doing? God, what are you doing? I'm bringing you into the wilderness for a conversation and a transfer. What? Please look at what he says in that next verse. He said, I'm going to bring you into the wilderness. Hosea 2, 14 through 17. He said, I am going to allure her. Now, I didn't tell you this. This is, I am giving you the amplified version. So I can read it to you in the amplified while she's got it up there in King James. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Verse 14. And I will speak tenderly and to her heart. That's what comfortably means. It means, you know, you can tell me all day that you love me, but if you're screaming at me while you're telling me that, I'm sorry. The method is drowning out the message. I can't hear you because the way you're saying it is so at odds with what you're saying. I remember telling my mother telling me of a friend of hers who would spank her children and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know what? I'd want to kill her. That doesn't feel like love to me. Don't tell me you love me while you're beating my rear end. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. He said, I, that's not why I'm bringing you in this place to this point. He said, I want to talk tenderly to you. Now, verse 15 in the Amplified said, I will give her her vineyards. Her vineyards. Now, I want to tell you something. I discovered something about Licking County. There's not a whole lot of land available here. Now, there's a lot of land. It's everywhere. But somebody's got it. And I think there's a commission here that holds thousands of acres. They decide if they're going to let any of that go or if they designate it green space. Do you know what I'm talking about? Thousands of acres. That means that not just anybody can come here and build. It means that things are kind of sewn up. I want to tell you something. The Lord knows the system of the world is against poor people and against people that don't have any authority and any power. He said, 
There are people who are empty on the inside. And he said, the system is stacked against you. I used to say this, by the time I learn the rules, they change them. I, can't, I, I, I cannot win for losing. So if you get in a company and you think you get a hold of it, I'm going to tell you what, if they've already picked somebody for that job you're applying for, good luck. Because they've already made their mind up. I don't care. They can tick all the boxes and say, we're going we're gonna to advertise it. And, but you know as well as I do that the scuttlebutt is they already picked someone out and they're just putting it out there to tick the box that says you've got to announce it. But they already decided who were the, the poor people that actually apply for that. They're heartbroken. There are only so many places. And in Babylon, there are only so many vineyards. And the Lord said, I know you have no source, no resource. You have no land of your own and you have no product of your own. And he said, when I take you to the wilderness, I'm going to give you something for you. I'm not going to take you out there just so that you are terrified and petrified. He said, I'm going to give you a vineyard. Now, you know what a vineyard is? It grows in dry, strange places. But you know what it is? It's not like an annual. You know the flowers everybody gets in plants and they're so pretty for a while? Those pretty little petunias, they're called annuals. You know what that means? They're only going to last for one year. And then there are things called perennials. They just keep coming back. But you know what a vineyard is? A vineyard has the potential to produce and produce and produce and produce in its season. And you know what it's a symbol of? Joy. Now how interesting that he could have chosen to say, I'm going to give you a cornfield. Say, why did he choose vineyard? Because he knew what he was going to promise in the New Testament. And Isaiah wrote, with joy shall you draw water from the wells of salvation. They didn't know anything about what God was going to do in the New Testament. But they caught a glimpse of this thing is bigger than Moses and the Ten Commandments. And we practice circumcision. And this God wants to do something amazing to and for us. And look at us sitting here listening to what Israel should be hearing. And they're over there debating about whether or not they believe in God. They believe in Zionism. He said, I am going to bring you into the wilderness and I'm going to give you not one vineyard, I'm going to give you vineyards. I'm going to make you productive from the inside out. I'm telling you what, there are people sitting in this audience that were orphaned, abused, widowed, forsaken. Some of y'all grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and God has made you an offer of engagement that no man could ever give you. There aren't enough government programs to to make you feel blessed. But when you take a trip with Jehovah Jireh to the wilderness. And he gives you something on the inside. It's just like he preached about Jephthah. You cannot use your birth as an excuse anymore. When the Lord said I'll write a new name in glory. And you can't use your bitterness. Because he said I'm going to give you something sweet. And brashness can be repented of. I'm telling you, look at the caliber of people sitting here. I don't 
see rocket scientists sitting here. This thing is so great. If I would have given it out, I would have gone to the top 1% in every field around the world and said, if anybody's going to live eternally, it needs to be these people and these people and these people. But they have not made a trip with the God of Abraham and Isaac to the wilderness and been so hungry and lonely and longing. And he said, that's who I'm looking for. Not the rich who are already doing just fine, thank you. But people who have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Would you lift your hands right now? We are so blessed. Marrying the master. How could anybody give up this opportunity? I'll never know. He said, I'm going to give you an internal source of joy. Vineyards. I'm going to give you vineyards. I want you to look where it says on your paper, speak tenderly and to her heart. I skipped that, so let's go over it. Jeremiah 31 and 3. He got a glimpse of it and said, The Lord has appeared to me of old, saying, I have loved you. Oh, I'm loving, I'm loving on you. Who's going to love me back? I loved your kids, Abraham. I loved Isaac. I loved Jacob. I loved the 12 boys. I loved Joseph and Naphtali and Asher. I loved Levi and Simeon and Judah. I loved Reuben. But look, the bigger they got, they left me behind until they got so abused by Egypt that cried out to me and I said, it's time for me to go get them. They're ready to let go. And let me take him to the place I've promised. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I love you so much. Let me tell you something. All those people are dead. So who's he talking to now? Who else is there to love? He said, I'm going to draw you with loving kindness. Isaiah 49, 15 through 16 said, Can a woman forget her sucking child? That's a woman who's nursing. Not likely. Not even physiologically, she can't forget. She knows there's a baby that needs to nurse. He said that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. He said a woman might forget that child and walk away. That would be something. He said, but I, they may forget, I won't forget you. Say, but God, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. You're all he's got right now. We're it. Say, we're it. Amen. Say, I'm it. Amen. And he said, behold, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. That's like taking a stylus and carving your name into his hands. I think that was a foretelling about Calvary. That the nail, he said, I love you so much that I have written you in the palm of my hand. You think that there are millions of you, but I happen to know that you're one of a kind. And I see you there with a little gray, but I saw you the night you were conceived. I knew you were coming. I have loved you from your conception. When you get a hold of that, you say, well, I haven't made a move toward God. Well, why do you think you're here tonight? He said, I'm drawing you. Come to me. I know you're empty. I know you don't feel blessed. 
And a lot of times people wait till they're in middle age to figure out, man, my life has been a mess. I don't have anything under control. All the things they buried in their 20s, all the stuff, it starts coming back and popping up. And, and, they, and they're having a crisis because they're, they're like, I, I've missed so much. And the Lord is saying, I'm here. I'm here. You're in my palms. Thy walls are continually before me. Psalms 103, 13 through 14 says, Like a father pities his children. There's not a dad alive that has a little old girl, a little old boy, doesn't look down when they're playing and trying to roughhouse with you. Most dads will give way a little bit. Oh, you got me. But he knows you're so little. I could crush you. I feel such compassion. He's not talking about a mother. He said like a dad. Like a dad pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He draws us with loving kindness and mercy. He has compassion on us. We're written in the palms of his hands. He feels pity for us. And therefore, he says, I want to give you something your mama and your daddy didn't give you. I want to give you something that's all yours and not dependent on your boss's approval. I want to give you something that when you're alone and scared, you go to the vineyard that I gave you and I'll make sure that there's a cluster of grapes there. You sit down with me and we'll talk and you'll eat from the joy that I gave you myself. I want you to be joyous from the inside out and not dependent on other people's approval, permission, or power. He said, I want to give you something. I want to marry you. I'm talking about giving you something that makes you rich, Cinderella. Even when your evil stepmother and sisters mock you and use you and abuse you, I got something for you. Say thank you, Jesus. He said, I want to make you productive. And the scripture says there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to go here to the Valley of Achor. I thought this was amazing that the Lord put this in here. I'm still amazed by it. I recognize the time and I don't want to overwhelm you. There's more to come and I have to do it in a timely fashion. Pray that the Lord helps you understand it so that you'll recognize how privileged you are and that we've been engaged and our marriage is imminent so that you do not rip off your clothes and go do something stupid at the moment right before he says, come up. That's why we're having this discussion. The Valley of Achor, if we go back to our original text, he said, I'm going to give you vineyards and make the Valley of Achor, which is known as troubling, to be for her a door of hope and expectation, and she shall sing there and respond as in the days of her youth at the time she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, which day? The day you sing, that you're going to call me Ishi. And on your paper, I told you what Ishi means, my husband. If you look at the top of your paper, Ishi and Isha means husband and wife in Hebrew. God is looking for an Isha. He's looking for his counterpart. He is looking for somebody to be married to him. Not just an occasional luncheon. Not an occasional visit. But an absolute, continual, unbroken relationship. I want you to look. It says... Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost and then the Valley of Achor. This was so strange to me. I couldn't understand why God would bring that up 
in the wilderness. But I want to tell you something. This is the first time that Israel was astonished by his passion, his ferocity, and his absolute truthfulness in saying, if you do this, this is going to happen. This was keeping a promise that they wished he wouldn't have kept. He told them, do not do X, Y, Z. They went to do battle in Jericho, and he said, burn it to the ground. Take nothing. Burn it all. Everything light on fire till there's nothing but ash. Take nothing from that place. Didn't tell him why. Didn't say if you're good little boys and girls, the next place you go, you're going to get to take home all kinds of things. He just said, burn it. First First lesson young couples learn is when one or the other speaks, how quickly the response is. When we come to God, what our love, our faithfulness to him is in our responsiveness. Not promises we make, but when he speaks, how quickly we respond, how quickly we move, how quickly we obey. That's what moves him. He said, touch nothing. You know the story. Achan saw a talent of gold or silver and a Babylonian garment. It was good looking. It was sharp. It fit him perfectly. And he said, I'm going to take it. Nobody will ever know. Wrong. They went out to the next battle and their enemies beat them up. And Joshua came running back to God and fell on the floor and said, what happened? He said, why are you crying to me? I told you not to touch the accursed thing. Get up. You mean what one does in a family affects the whole family? Clearly. They took that man out. He never did confess until he was caught. Listen to me. He knew what he did. And they kept saying, who did it? He kept his mouth shut. Who did it? He kept his mouth shut. Who did it? He kept his mouth shut. Who did it? They finally drew and they finally caught his family. And he said, give glory to God. Did you take it? Yeah. But he wasn't going to admit it. Not until Joshua was in his face. There are consequences to that kind of lying and hiding the truth. There are consequences to an entire family waiting until somebody finds it out. It's huge. Now we know about the coronavirus. I don't know what kind of viruses were in Jericho. But God was so incensed. I don't know if that garment was full of all kinds of disease. And it wouldn't have taken but just one night buried in the tent. For it to spread through the water source. And wipe out all the children of Israel. All I know is God said, done. And Israel was absolutely shocked. And the Bible said it was a breach in them. That means they, they could never reconcile what God did with Achan. Took him out, took his kids, stoned them, and I think they burned their bodies and burned them to ash. Harsh. Hard to believe. And the Lord said, I am going to that place where you got burned. When somebody did something that threw your world into an upheaval, you didn't do it. That's what that valley represents for me. I'm suffering the consequences of what somebody else did. It was not my choice. I didn't do it. I went by faith. I believed I did what God said. I've done everything. But I'm in relationship with some people who have had consequences. And their lives have affected me. He said, I'm going to take you to that place when I take you to the wilderness. And I'm going to talk to you about it. And I'm going to say, look here. 
I'm going to turn this. Did you see this? I'm because I love you and because you're listening to me. I'm going to take that place where what somebody else did that devastated you and dropped you to the ground. I'm going to turn that around for you. I'm going to make that a door. I'm going to make a door. Hallelujah. I'm going to stand right there in that door. And of course we know the door and the way, the truth and the life is Jesus himself. I don't know how many of us have experienced the moment when the Lord has brought you back to a place of devastation and said bring it to me because I'm about to do something wonderful I'm going to give you back what the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locust I'm going to give you blessings beyond what you believe because you believe in me and you've made a trip with me I'm going to turn that thing around for you because I love you and I want you to call me Ishi I want to be the main event. I don't have to tell any of these girls that are engaged. Call your fiance. Spend time with him. Tell him how much you love him. Tell about your plans. What have y'all got planned? I know they're planning even as we speak. They're talking. They've got ideas. They've got hopes. They've got dreams. What is so precious about that? Because two completely different individuals are sharing something in a covenant before they actually do it. And when they stand here on this platform and make that promise with a ring on it, what they're saying is for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, I'm going to stick with you and God is making us that same offer but let me tell you the benefits go beyond a house and kids I'm talking about the new Jerusalem I'm talking about eternal life I'm talking about the marriage supper of the lamb how many of us have suffered because of what someone else did the Lord said you come with me into this wilderness I'm going to visit that place Psalms 119.49 says on your paper, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. I have hope for things. I'm going to be 62 this year. I'm telling you there are things behind me. It would take God himself. I have no way to go back. None. But he made a promise. It's a, kind of a ridiculous promise. Have you ever heard a girl say this? He promised me the moon. Well, he promised me the moon and the stars and a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> and I believe him. The next verse says, Psalm 130 and 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word I hope. His word, what are you saying? Those are promises to me. I'm engaged. My beloved is making promises to me. It's changing the way I think and feel about my life and about the way I behave and the things I do and the things I don't. I'm getting married in the morning. I'm sorry. Psalms 130 and 7, let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's mercy and with him is plenteous redemption. Job, Daniel, Lazarus, Paul and Silas all had a turning point at the worst point of their life. All of these people suffered because of what someone else did. All of them. He said, when I get into your valley and I turn you around and I show you what I can do, you will sing to me. You will sing to me. And he said, I want to hear you sing. Not because someone said, 
Hymn number 327. Everybody stand. Everybody lift your hand. Everybody turn around. Everybody bend over. Everybody touch your toes. But suddenly, oh God, you're so amazing. Some of you have been waking up in the middle of the night singing to the Lord. You're not singing here, but you're singing at 4 o'clock in the morning and 2 in the morning and 3 in the morning. What are you doing? I'm singing to you. You love to hear me sing. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. And here's what is so amazing to me, Zephaniah 3 and 17. Our God is not a passive observer. He said, you sing to me, and guess what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to sing back. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The presence of the Lord is in this place. Jesus, we're in the wilderness. We still have tape on the pews. There are people still going through sickness, trials and tribulation and illness. We are in the wilderness. There are people who cannot make it to church. There are people who do not know if they'll ever come back. There are people who have wondered if the promises you made are still real or if this has all been a myth. But you promised your love to us and you don't lie. And while we are sitting here on a Wednesday night Bible study, it's not Sunday night and we're not supposed to have a runaway. Lean down in this congregation and speak tenderly to the hearts of those who are here. Let the Holy Ghost that flows like a river, precious promises, God, they're holding all of us because we have no answer to coronavirus and we have no answer to a microchip and we have no answer to the violence and the hostility of this hour. We have no answer, but we have promises. And we are here tonight to feel your presence and your refreshing and your anointing one more time, Lord, to be in relationship with you. That's why we come, because we want to feel after you. Thank you, Jesus. Let your presence flow like dew and river and water and wind to each person sitting in this pew. God, let everybody feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost because we're all going through something, something of some sort. And you said, I'm going to take you to the lowest place, a wild place, and I'm going to talk to you there while you're struggling. And I'm going to give you something wonderful. Then I'm going to take you to the place where something awful happened and you haven't been able to get over it. And I'm going to stand there and say, I'm God. I love you.